1: What is up, Grizz Nation? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Grizz 901 Podcast. I am your temporary host, Nathan Qualls, filling in for our beloved Daniel Greer. While he is on a much-earned sabbatical, poor guy, he may never come back. But with me today is Chris Ingram. Chris, how we doing, man?
0: Man, I'm good. I got my workout in this morning, got my energy drink in. Shout out to Celsius. They need to uh, go ahead and sponsor this podcast. I'm going to try to reach out and get somebody, you know, to help us out with that. But uh, I'm good, man. I'm good, ready to talk, you know, about my favorite player. Slapping my knee right now on the Grizzlies, dealing in some other stuff. But, uh, man, I'm excited to, to get into it. How about you? How you feeling? Well, I'm a little scared now that you're telling me that you're on an energy drink. I think you did that on purpose for who
1: we are talking about today. I, I guess Celsius can be the Grizz 901 form of G Fuel. We'll take that. For me, <laughs> I'm just uh, running on pure, un- unfiltered black coffee. It's just okay. – Coursing through my veins. I don't think it's going to go well for us. But like Chris said, we're here to talk about our favorite Grizzlies player, not just mine, the Grizz 901 favorite player until David Roddy. Of course, we're the official David Roddy fan club. Don't forget it. It's stamped, it's been that way for a while. If you love David Roddy, you love Grizz 901. But for traditional favorite Grizzlies, there's no one better than Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks. Fan favorite Dylan Brooks, Chris Ingram's personal favorite player. You can see him tweet about him a lot. That's that's how you know it's real love. Chris loves to tweet about Dylan Brooks. But sometimes you just got to be honest. And that's that's tough love. And no one can embrace tough love more than Dylan. We all saw the video last week of him getting uh, confronted in an airport about his lack of passing to John Moran. And he just laughed it off like the team player that he is. Just laughed it off, took it like a champ moved on along but we we obviously need to talk about this guy coming into his sixth year all of them in memphis even though phoenix thought they were going to get him uh way back when and the brooks not brooks trade but we we do love dylan here we're going to talk about him and we're going to get into a lot of what happened last season because obviously dylan has been a fan favorite he's been polarizing but he's been the grit grind energy menace type player that fits in really well with Memphis. You just sort of took the good with the bad. Unfortunately, last season, we seem to only get mostly bad Dylan. And listen, I've been a Dylan Brooks defender. I stayed on Dylan Brooks Island for most of last season. I am documented as leaving the island. I'm also documented as staying close to the island, hoping I can make my way back. But even I couldn't defend Dylan at the end of last season. There was just some selfish play that took place that was a type of thing that you can't have you can have mistakes you can't have just boneheaded selfish play but there are a lot of circumstances around last season that I'm going to get into but first I want to pass it to Chris Chris it's well documented that you did not love Dylan Brooks last season you're not the biggest Dylan Brooks fan in the world and I want to hear from you what last season looked like from your perspective I mean when it comes to last season, ups and downs for everybody, but specifically you, what were your thoughts both during and after last season?
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, we do our before podcast chats, just kind of, you know, bouncing ideas or just kind of talking about feelings. We had to always cut ourselves off, you know, so that we can record actually how we feel about these things. But like I was telling you or uh, before, um, Dylan, like you said, is well documented. He's not my favorite player on on the Grizzlies. And it's only because fit-wise, I've never seen him, you know, be able to come in and just fill a role. It's like he has his rational confidence that we all talk about, that we all know about. And at some point, you would think that from high up, whether it be, you know, general managers, coaches, whoever, comes in and, and gets to him and say, hey, like you're perfectly stenciled to fill a role, but You know, you got to stop this or you should work on this. It just hasn't happened. Like, we had these debates or we had these conversations about, you know, Dylan, he's a prototypical 3 and D guy. But then he goes out in something like a game six and throws up. I need to go and check the stats. But I know it it had to be 30 shots or more. Like, it was just – it was – man, I was pulling every inch of every piece of hair on my body out watching that game. Almost, we were talking about playing 2K, throwing a remote at the TV. I was about to throw everything I had in my TV and break it because it was just that frustrating. Um, So, you know, the the crazy thing is when you go back and look at the numbers, he actually had, shout out to our guy, Funaki uh, Funaki Stats, posted this. I believe it was yesterday talking about the plus minus against that Warriors team in the second round. He actually had the second highest plus minus on the team at 12.7, which is hard for me to believe if you actually watch that series. Um, because again, it's just, I don't know what he was doing, but throughout the season, let's, you know, he averaged 18.4, uh, points a game, but he only played, you know, I believe it was like 30 games that year, 32, 32 games. So, um, no, not a super large sample size. Cause he was dealing with injuries, but I don't know, man, just yeah. last year it was, you know, we played so well without him. Zaire came in even as. You know, we talked about on previous pods, I feel like his biggest thing is just confidence. Even with him being nervous in a lot of the situation that he was put in, uh, he just played a be- – a- he was a better fit, played a better role in that starting lineup with Ja, Jaron, um, you know, Bain, and then Steven Adams. So, we – you know, I'll talk about this in a little bit later, but, you know, he's got an ideal role on this team if he's going to be here. Uh, but it's just been so frustrating to watch, like – Dude, people talked about Rudy Gay, but he's not Rudy Gay. He's not athletically where Rudy Gay was. He's not the shooter. He's not the creator. He's not—he's not Rudy Gay. We got to stop giving him that comparison. It's like we try to boost up Dylan Brooks to be something that he's not, and it just gets into his head even worse and makes him go out there and play—you know—play worse than what he already is. So I know I'm just kind of rambling right now. I'm gonna throw it back to you. Like, what were your thoughts as far as last season um, with Dylan's play?
1: Well, that was actually why I wanted to throw it to you first because I don't disagree with anything you just said. I mean, I I said just a second ago in game three, I'm sorry, game four of the playoffs, he just, that game was very much so in the Grizzlies control. And then you had a guy who was on a heater in Jaron Jackson Jr. He could have just kept feeding him. And Dylan very clearly wanted to be the guy. He wanted to take over that game. And effectively cost them that game you know it's it's hard for me to say that a player single-handedly loses a game for a team but that's about as close as you can get and I don't deny that and I don't deny the frustrations with it right but uh, I like what you said there at the end because I think that says that's a lot of Dylan Brooks a part of his development was when he came to Memphis he came when they all of a sudden were trash (laughs) Right. And it was a go put up 20 shots a game because why not? You know, we're not going to be any good. Let's see what these young guys can do. Go do it. And so he did. He did. And that is an extenuating circumstance that shows what happens when a player comes into a bad environment. And that's what Dylan Brooks came into. And I think that the extenuating circumstance with that, while it it's really can't be an excuse anymore on a contending team to continue to play that way, you have to learn. It is a circumstance that was out of his control. And I think that carries over to a lot of the issues with last year. You mentioned he only played 32 total games last season. That is 40% of the regular season. And with that, I, I will be releasing this deep dive later on this week. Go check it out. I'm going to d- dig into a lot of this stuff. But this is the breakdown of Dylan Brooks' 32 appearances last season. Inactive for the first 10 games. Played in 19 games, missed four for injury management or rest in between. Then missed six games, about two weeks to another injury. Played in two games, missed 27 games or over two months to his ankle injury. Played in 11 games leading up to the playoffs, missed three games for rest in there. That's not even a 32-game season. That is three mini-seasons in the midst of a regular season, right? And listen, I'm... a big Jaron defender have been came on this pot throughout the season. And I will continue to come on saying how great Jaron can be. You got to give him time. And injury was a big part of that with last season, right? was, Hey, we're going to write off last season with Jaron or not this past season, but the season before with Jaron, because he only played in however many games when he came back from his meniscus injury, how are we going to do that for Jaron and then not act like it's part of what happened with Dylan Brooks, right? That is a huge, huge issue. And you just can't find a rhythm. And he shot, 64% 64% in the playoffs, and he's a 79.9, almost an 80% free throw shooters. That shows that you are just not confident and in a rhythm. He was never able to get there. He did a, he missed a lot of shots in, that he would normally make, right? It's just part of it, and we have to be able to give that to him now. Is he still taking stupid shots? Yes, that's the thing that Dylan cannot do, and that is something that there is no excuse for, ever taking those dumb shots. But the part of, hey, he couldn't make anything, that's not Dylan Brooks. Listen, he's not going to be the contract year Dylan making 78% of his threes, something crazy, whatever, when he was on that heater. But he's also not going to be making 20% of his threes, shooting 30% or less from three, right? We have to take that into account. Now, that being said, he has things that he has to improve on, and I think that that is probably the next thing that we need to talk about is his ideal role for the team coming into the season. Because, again, last season, there's a write-off in a lot of different areas, in my opinion, but some of that stuff, the game four done, that can't happen. You can't have a guy that comes in and starts taking all these shots when he obviously doesn't have it, right? He has to learn his role in the pecking order. But his ideal role on the team this next season, I want to throw it to you on – what does that look like both from a role perspective, but also what, not just, hey, he needs to be six man or, hey, he needs to be a starting three or four or whatever it needs to be. But like, what does he need to do within that role? Like what shots does he need to be taken? What does he need to improve on? So what in your mind would be the ideal place for Dylan Brooks to get to coming into this next season?
0: So it's funny you said that. So, and I'm going to piggyback on kind of, you know, what you were saying, because all this stuff kind of flows together. When you look at, you know, uh ideal role, I'll look at a person that he's probably been mentioned in trade rumors for, which is OG and Anobi. OG on a team with, you know, we'll say two all-stars, because Fred Vlenvy, uh, I can all I always mess his name up. Van Fleet, whatever you whatever it is. uh Baby Drake and um Pasco Siakam. You know, being on the team with those two guys, those are your one and two on that Toronto Raptors team. OG Anobi, he comes in, fills his role. I loved his performance in the bubble. Um, he played pretty good this year as well. But again, he fills his role. He's going to, you know, he's got some creation um, ability, but most of the time he's playing, you know, defense on the best team, on, on the team's best player. Um, and then he's knocking down threes. He's just filling his role. He's not trying to be anything outside of OG. And so when I look at Dylan, it's like, I understand the intensity that you bring. I understand the intangibles that you bring outside of just playing the game of basketball. But you need to focus on that because we look at Tony Allen. He made some bonehead plays. He he missed some wide open layups a lot. But, you know, we're not dependent on him to score. We're not dependent on him to be something that he's not. He filled a role and he's going to be forever ingrained in Memphis Grizzlies culture because of what he brought outside of offensive basketball and so that's what i want dylan to always focus on going forward if he's going to be on this team long term because a lot of the talks when you look at even zach climbing at the end of the season when he was doing his uh in the season presser like he kept mentioning ja dez and jaron and i don't know if a lot of people caught that but dylan he never not once like mentioned them when he was you know speaking about those three guys so you know i don't know if that again, going back to my conspiracy theory that I've had since the end of the season, it, it was because of a conversation that was had. And, you know, maybe Zach was mad and, and and Dylan was mad. I don't know. Or, you know, they just straight up told him, look, bro, if you're going to be here, this is the role that we want you to fill. And so, you know, I, I've been an advocate. I said it once we got off a of pod a couple of days ago. Or, or, yeah, a couple of days ago. Uh, we didn't record it. But, you know, I even tweeted it out because I want to be on record saying it's like, Dylan, his ideal role, if he's going to be here for me, is to be the sixth man, bona fide six man. Look, I'm not mad at you taking 15 shots a game if you're the sixth man, because at that point, we're looking for you to provide offense against that team's second unit. And then at the end of the game, if it comes out to closing the game against, you know, uh, Steph Curry or Devin Book or whoever, those last two, three minutes, we may put you out there to defend him because we do need to get stops. Uh, But you need to be committed to that. Don't get the last two, three minutes of the game like you did the whole game of game six. And every time you touched the ball, you literally ran down the court and shot it. You looked at the ground the entire time. You didn't look to your left or your right to pass or catch the open man. Um, It was just, I know when I get this ball, I'm going to shoot it no matter what. We don't need that. And like you said, game four, you literally lost that game because we were up all the way up until I think it was the last 40 seconds he ran and shot down a, a three on transition. And threw the game away. You can't do that. You cannot do that. Like that. That's not your role. When you got Desmond Bain, which is the superior offensive player, the superior shooter on your squad. You got Jaron, which we're paying a lot of money to do what he's out there doing, and he's a offensive and defensive mismatch. Like use your tools. So you know if he can commit to being that six man, and you know we throw you in in certain instances where we need you be a weapon, not be a weapon against be a weapon for it's not a weapon against us if you're on our team like i tweeted out I was like hey golden state when they go back to the locker room they they yelling dealing with us because <laughs> you can't you can't do that you cannot be uh the turn of the team so if, if he's gonna be on here you know be on this squad that's what i would love him to accept and i made a bet with you i didn't even ask for anything back i said hey if, if he accepts that You know, whether he flourishes in it or not, it's been six years. We've not even tested it out, not one time. If he accepts that role and tries to go out there and do that, at least attempts it, I'll go buy a Dylan Brooks jersey. And I'll wear it because it's like, okay, now you committed. Now you're you're down for the cause. You're down to see us actually win a championship. But what you starting? I just don't see that because you out there, you know, clashing with Desmond, you clashing with John, you clashing with with Jaron. It's just not going to work. We've seen that. We got three years to see it. How much longer do we need to spend on this experiment? We got uh the, uh, the Anthony Melton out of here because you know we spent two three years on him. We got Grayson Allen. We saw one full year of him that we you know we got the okay. We got the picture. This is not going to work for us. Yonis Valentunis, Same thing. We got six years of of, of DB. When are we going to either say let's at least try it out and see what happens, or it's time to move on? So. I don't know, man, that's, that's, we, we're going to have to see, um, because I know all time when he scores, you know, 20 points or more, I think it's like, we're like 52 and 22 or something like that. But what people don't realize is when he takes 20 field goals or more, we're 12 and 14. So that tells you right there, like it's a certain spot that we need him to take shots to win. And it's not going to be you being the top shot, uh, the, the top shot taker. That's just not your role. So, um, What's your thoughts on that? How how you feel, you know, going forward? Well, to throw it back to the last season stuff for a second,
1: 20.6, 15.5, 14.5, 13.3. The 20.6 is John Morant's field goal attempts per game. The 14.5 is Jaron Jackson Jr.'s field goal attempts per game. And the 13.3 is Devin, Desmond Baines' field goal attempts per game which means a 15 and a half is Dylan Brooks field goal attempts per game. And the only person who shot more than him on the team was John Moran last season in a starting role playing next to Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson jr. That can't happen. It just can't. You cannot be the second leading shot taker on a team. And that's, that was sort of the line for me. I thought that Dylan, I thought there was a great chance Dylan got traded this all season because that just couldn't happen. Right. And I, I've never thought that Dylan wasn't a team player. I thought that game four was the only instance I look back and I was like, Dylan's just not a team. He was not a team player right there. I think normally what Dylan has thought is me taking these shots is what's best for the team. Cause I'm the second best shot creator on the team. Now, as far as shot creation goes, that still might be true. He might be the second best on the team at creating his own shot, but he's not going to be the second best at making the shots. And with John ja Morant, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson on the floor at the same time, you don't need people creating shots all the time. It's great to have someone to go to that can create their own shot. When the offense breaks down, you're late in the clock, something like that. But with those three guys on the floor, almost always John Moran's going to be able to create something. Steven Adams can create at the top of the key. He's a great facilitator. Desmond Bain cutting. Jaron will only continue to improve on his offensive game. That can't happen. That being said, if Dylan goes into that six-man role, all of a sudden you're creating shots for yourself off the bench. You can go get on your heaters. You still have to learn to play within the role of the offense, but you can take those shots and you're not taking away shots from other guys who should be taking those shots instead of you. Right? So I'm hundred percent with you. What I don't think is that you can just throw Dylan into a six man role. He's been on this team too long. I think just the dynamic won't work. I think what you have to do is transition him into a hybrid six man role. And so I'll go into this a little bit more in the article I released this week, but I think what we'll see this season is we will start John Morant, Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, Dylan Brooks, Stephen Adams. I think that is your starting five while Jaron is out at the beginning of the season. And I think that from a defensive standpoint, Dylan has shown he's able to guard bigger guys. He's very switchable. You get into a bit of a small ball, spread the floor role. Zaire Williams is super long, so I think defensively it works. And what it will do is allow them to spread the floor, like I was saying. But when they switch out to that second unit, Ties comes in, I guess Contraro will come in, whoever else. You leave Dylan in, you make that substitution early, and Dylan all of a sudden is in a six-man role, right? It's effectively he is going to be the number one bench player playing with that unit. He just is going to be starting as well. And that allows you to transition to where you're not throwing him to the bench, a guy who's been a starter since this core was here, but he's playing in a six man role. And then you can use him to close games, et cetera, like you would at the Anthony Melton when he was hot or a Brandon Clark last season, right? There's the ability to do that. I don't think from a dynamic standpoint, you can just throw him into it, but if he really thrives in that role and then Jaron comes back, Maybe all of a sudden he's more willing to take in a true six man role, right? We're able to transition Dylan into that. The Grizzlies are able to transition Dylan into that. There's a possibility, but just throwing him into it, I don't think can happen. But I think the main thing for Dylan this coming season is going to be do what you can do, right? Like, do what you can do best. We can, you can continue to do, take those shots, but make them only the good shots. So I was looking at Dylan's three-point shot. He shot 30.9% from three last year. He's a career 34.5% three-point shooter, I believe, maybe 34.8%, something like that. That's not ideal, right? That's less than 35%. You want him to be shooting better as a wing. Do you know what he shoots from the corners, the corner threes for his career? 42.8%. See? 42.8%. And anytime he gets it in the corner, you feel better watching the games, right? You feel better when he shoots it from the corner. What if you only take those threes from the corner? And I think he's pretty good at that straightaway three, two, but quit taking them on the wings. You cannot, you're not a good wing three-point shooter. Not many people are, by the way, (laughs) not many people are that great at it. People are great at corner and top of the key. It's like Tyus. Tyus almost exclusively takes his threes there, right? It's, it's. Get to that shot. Get to your mid-range like little foul line mid-range jumper. Don't be shooting the one-legged fadeaway with 15 seconds in the clock. You just can't do it, right? You just have to get to the things that you are good at and learn to play within the flow. And I think that is the biggest key to all of it is play within the flow. Keep the ball moving. I think if Dylan sheds his reputation as a ball stopper, no matter where he is in the lineup, he's going to be awesome. Fans will fall back in love with him, and he will make this team Far and away better. Because defensively, you need that energy. You need someone who can create shots. And he is, it's wacky, it's wonky. He does it stupidly sometimes, but he can create shots. But if you can just pass the ball off, like the ball can't get to you, and everyone knows it's not going anywhere else, right? And the good news is he has sort of made that transition a little bit, but we'll get that into a second. What what are your thoughts? I mean, I think that getting that consistency, I think the transition to a hybrid six-man role and then getting to those, just the consistent shots solves all the problems for Dylan Brooks. But I mean, do you disagree?
0: A little bit. And all the reason I say that, like, I, and, and I'm, but I'm, I disagree, but I'm with you at the same time, if that makes sense, because now my thing is he's <laughs> okay. I explain. Oh, uh, he, he's an ego player, at least up to this point. He, he, I feel like the way that he plays is is strictly on his ego and his pride for himself. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, 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 it's spiteful. I'm not saying it's malicious, but that's just the way that he plays. And so, you know, for being the, you know, uh, imagine a four year player at a a top university he's been starting the whole time. And then next thing you know, he's get a fifth year eligibility because of COVID and next thing, you know, they saying come off the bench. It's kind of hard to ingrain it in my head when I've been starting for the last four years or whatever's been going on. so, um, I've said that before, so I agree with you. you know, it's gonna be kind of hard to switch that mentality for him. um, but if he can buy in, that's the more successful for him and the team. I think he's a lifelong grizzly if he can buy in because let's be honest, it's a lot of other star players, all star caliber players that have transitioned to the bench to be, you know better for the team. You can look at the Golden State Warriors, yeah, he's not what he was when he first got there. But I was like, why in the world would Andre Iguodala like pass up? He's been a starter, all star. You know, he's he's been a top player in the league for so long. Why would you go somewhere and then accept, you know, being a sixth man or being a bench player? But we see he's got four rings because of that. So not only that, like it's 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 it's, it's raising his resume, it's raising his cachet. Uh, does he get those four rings if he goes somewhere else? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think he was at Denver before he went there. So, uh and then right before that, he, obviously he was in Philly. So yeah, I mean, he, he branched out. He went to uh, Miami. Yeah. They went to a a championship in a bubble, but he didn't play a major, uh major role in that. So uh you look at Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. He's not what he was, but I'll be honest. Like if I'm going to tell somebody to come in and just score again, looking at those type of roles, that's what I want Dylan to do. Like come in and just score. So Again, it's going to come, at the end of the day, it just really comes down to buying in, Uh, oh, Manu Manu Ginobili. I'm just, they're coming off my head. Like, players that are definitely better than Dylan Brooks. Like, none of us can debate that that Dylan Brooks is better than these players that I'm naming. They are Hall of Famers, champions, stuff like that. You're neither one of those right now. But you need to accept, like, if I'm going to be here, I mean, he can probably make more money, you know, if he decides to do that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I just want him to buy in to what the Grizz has got going in and then take the ego out cuz at the end of the day, like you said, there's no way that he's taking more shots than those players. Those are the core. Uh that's going to be here long term, you know, unless something else crazy knock on wood happens. Um if you want to be here, bro, buy in. So we can see, you know, if the hybrid works. But again, I'm just of the mind that like we haven't tried the six role or uh, six man thing yet. At least tried. and if it don't work then it is what it is. But if you look at kind of what you were saying, I'm just, you know, jotting down notes here, looking at a, a backup, you know, bench lineup of tires. Maybe Danny Green, if he comes back, and I know we're going to touch on him in a minute, but let's just throw Conchar in there. DB, Roddy Oloravia, depending on which one looks better coming out of training camp in B.C., that's a solid bench. I mean, you throwing in Zaire as the starter, but I mean, that's a solid bench. I still put that bench up against any bench in the NBA. It might be the best bench in the NBA if you throw him on that bench.
1: Well, and there's no reason you can't, like I said, leave Dylan in when the second unit comes in at first, and then throw Zaire in later to give Dylan some rest. Then you just swap those guys in and out, and they're pretty interchangeable there, right? So I, I, I'm with you yeah. on that.
0: Yeah, it just it just it just depends. We, we will have to, you know, obviously we we'll have to see it, but. Um, I don't know. I think it's more so a mentality thing. I think it's a it's a a mindset switch with the host. I guess from my point of view with the six man thing versus the hybrid, because you still start him, it's still putting in his head, I'm the guy. You know. So yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I don't I don't think we disagree at all on what the role needs to be for Dylan moving forward. I think we're we're aligned in that it has to be a you can still get your shots, but it's gotta be the second unit and you have to accept your spots in the rotation in the pecking order when the starters are on the court, right? That's I don't think we have any disagreement about that. I think our disagreement is on whether or not he is enough of a team player to actually do that. And I think I would lean towards, yes, I think Dylan has been a team player. Everybody's got egos, man, especially you're a professional athlete, dude. You are the best of the best. You have to have an ego to get on that stage and succeed. He is far from the only one that being said, I think Dylan wants to do what's best for the team. I think he wants to be known as a team player. And I think that there's been, if I had to guess, there's been conversations behind the scenes with the team that have not been comfortable for Dylan or for the organization, but that he's been humbled about it. And listen, it's, it's a silly little thing, but take the airport incident for, for an instance. I'm I'm being, listen, it's, it's, Petty. It's small. It may be nothing, but look at it. Listen, a dude just sat there and called him out for not passing, right? Just called him out for not passing, and he just sat there and he just went. He kind of just seemed like, yeah, I know, right? It was one of those things where he didn't get mad. That's first off, leave these players alone, man. (laughs) They're human beings. (laughs) Let's remember that they're human beings too. Like, listen, it's. You can if, if it's all jokes and it's really clear, it's all jokes, it seemed like that was all friendly enough. But let's also be careful about thinking we can just go with the players and treat them like they're pieces on a chessboard, first off. Second off, he truly just sat there and just kind of like took it off the chin and was like – it seemed to me like he was like a, yeah, I know I need to be better. That was a guy who seemed to have accepted, okay, I need to be a little bit better. I think that might be a reason Dylan went dark for a while. because He was like – he needed to – Figure some stuff out on that, and he was not around anybody for it. And the fact that he's still with the team tells me something. Because if he wasn't willing to fall in line with that, I don't see a situation which he's still on the team. I just don't. Because you can't continue to have that happen. But I think there was a come to Jesus moment this offseason, and we could very well see that. I'm a hundred percent with you that if we don't see that, it's just I don't I don't think he's going to get a contract extension with Memphis. He'll end up somewhere else. You know, he's in a contract year. I think you were just talking about that. He's going to end up having to sign something with somebody. But I think he wants it to be with Memphis. And I think Memphis wants it to be with Memphis. I think Memphis fans should want it to be with Memphis. Because if it is, it means he's adopted this role. And that role, if you can get Dylan Brooks filling that role, scary. It's scary, man. And I think the good news is, and I was hitting at this a minute ago, we've already seen him start to do that a little bit, even last year. Now, his, this is not a stat to write home about. right? This is going to be nowhere near the record books but he did average a career high in assists last year. It's only 2.8. Again, it's not <laughs> earth-shattering by any means. But it matched what you saw on the court, which there was more of an effort to look for his teammates, right? So traditionally, Dylan, and still most of the time, Dylan, last season, he, when he would drive to the rim, he just put his head down, barreled in. He's putting up the shot, right? It's just what he was doing. But you saw at times last year, he would go in and he would he would look for the dump off to Stephen Adams. He'd look for the dump off to BC, Tillman, Jaron, whoever. And he made a few really nice passes in that, right? And while that's not a great stat, 2.8, you got to remember a lot of times those dump downs were to Stephen Adams, who love him to death. We've already had a podcast. We love the Kiwi. Couldn't love him more. He's also been known to smoke a layup or two. <laughs>
0: just yeah.
1: Everyone's that layup is not a Jonas Valentina sure thing. You don't yeah. really know, would still rather have Adams hands down, but there's times where Adams smoked some stuff, Rob job a couple of double doubles <laughs> for sure. You know, it's one of those things, but Dylan made a concerted effort. You could tell as a part of his game, he was working on. I expect that to only continue to happen. And I think he knows this is a prove it year, both as a reputation and for a contract reason, right? For contract, he has to prove that he can be a team player and work within a system I think he comes out this year and does it. If he doesn't, I don't think he's long for Memphis. I'm with you, but I think he can, I think he can make that leap. And I think you will see, he may not thrive in the role at first, but I think you'll see a Dylan that's attacking the game differently this season, because you just, he has to know. He has to know. Right. But I mean, do you, I guess I want to get, we're going to move on for a second. We've talked about Dylan plenty. Do you have a final verdict on whether or not you think Dylan will be able to do that this season? From, honestly. And listen, we, we love these players. We've said time and time again, we want them to succeed. Chris is going to get a Dylan jersey this season if he does this, which I got my money on the jersey happening. But we're <laughs> here to give an honest perspective on what we think will and won't happen too. So um, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. It's it. If it was, everybody would do it. So that being said, what is your honest opinion on what's going to happen with Dylan this season?
0: The pressure is on Dylan Brooks. I wish I knew his middle name. I need to look that up because I'm going to start calling him by his whole full name. <laughs> uh But the pressure is on, Dylan, for the simple fact that we did not do or that we did not make a significant roster upgrade this offseason. And, you know, for me, I was one of the big people at first that was like, you know, what are we doing? Why are we not making, you know, a move to get better? We was this close to getting a championship run this year. What are we doing? Uh, The more and more I think about it, the more and more I watch, you know, highlights or just games because there's no basketball on right now the more that I'm of the mind that we did the right thing. Uh, and I'm banking on the guys that we got. Like I said, I just ran down a, a, a bench of, that's going to be a top bench in the league. We know what the starters and John Moran going to do. That's a scary team still in the NBA. So I say the pressure is on dealing because we didn't move you. Like you said, that means that we're banking on you becoming the best version of yourself to get us to the next level because we know what Ja Desmond and Jaron is going to do. You know, we we, we that's solidified. We know what they're going to do. We, we're hoping Zaire's going to take, you know, maybe not a main esque step up this year, but we're looking at him to take a step up. The biggest caveat to this team right now and the success of the team is number 24. So, uh, you know, if the conversation, like I said, going back to my, my conspiracy theory, if that, that conversation is the conversation that was had, which needed to happen in six years in the making, I do think that you know that switch happens in him and i do think that we surprise a lot of people so dylan brooks if you watch my twitter and you listen to this podcast you know that (laughs) i got some i got some hard takes and some hard feelings towards you but at the end of the day like you said nate like i'm still rooting for you because you wear bill street blue i want you to succeed if you're here bro so you know if he comes out you know now the switch side of that is i'm scared of contract i mean uh contract year, dealing because we all know what happened last time he played great for that like month or month and a half stretch. And then after that contract, after the ink dried up immediately, he went back to his old ways. So, you know, I just don't want it to be whole, you know, Hey, look guys, I'm, I'm passing the ball. I'm doing all the right things. And then as soon as the ink dries again, he goes back to his old ways again. So uh, my gut, my heart says he'll be back. I'll say that. So we'll, 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 we'll see. We'll see what you think. He, is he going to be back after this year? Yeah, so, I,
1: again, I think that, one, you, I'm always, you, you criticize play, you can criticize performance, whatever. It's like I said a minute ago, you've got to remember these are people. I, it really, really bothers me when I see people treating these players and talking about these players like they're not human beings. frustrates me a lot. But even yeah. from a pure play perspective, as a Grizzlies fan, you better hope that Dylan performs this year. Because I think, just like you said, he's the linchpin. What Dylan does, they will go as Dylan goes this year with Jaron out. They just mm-hmm. will. He, he's, he has to fill in defensively for Jaron. I think he can fill in defensively for Jaron to start the year. He's obviously not going to be defensive player of the year, caliber player, but being able to fill a role, they will be needed. And we, the Grizzlies will go as Dylan Brooks goes. But like you were saying, I also I encourage – well, before I get into that, yes, I think Dylan – I think what I've seen from Dylan this offseason, just the mannerisms, the way things have gone – the fact that the Grizzlies have not moved him anywhere, I think it was a come-to-Jesus moment and that he is going to flip his style of play. I think it'll be hard, but I think it'll pay off for the Grizzlies in the long run when he does it. So I think that will happen. I think he'll get an extension with Memphis. Um, obviously, there's trades, things come up, and anything can happen, but as things stand now, I see him staying with the Grizzlies. But before we hop into Danny Green, who we're going to talk about here in just a second, I do want to challenge Grizzlies fans who are panicking about not making moves, et cetera, et cetera. Do what Chris said and go and write down the lineup. It's pretty hard to figure out who you're going to put in the 10 man rotation, because there's a lot of guys you feel comfortable putting in that 10 man rotation is a solid team. By the way, that's not including Jaron yet. I think a lot of the panic around the team comes from Jaron being injured and being like, Oh, we're going to take a step back without Jaron there. And we haven't brought anybody else in the help. But what are we going to do? Relax. He's going to come back. He's going to be there for the end of the season, no matter what. And this team has a lot of players on it, by the way, John Morant, Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, only going to continue to improve. So if you're worried about the Grizzlies, go right down the lineup. They may take a step back from last year, but if you're thinking they're playing territory, I strongly disagree with you. So that's just a little caveat on that. And Dylan Brooks is going to be a big part of them making the playoffs and I believe making a West finals run. So Again, we'll get a lot all of that a lot more closer to the preseason, but for now, we talk about Dylan a lot because we have another guy that there's just not a ton to talk about right now, and Danny Green. So Danny Green, obviously traded for him on draft night, sent fan favorite De'Anthony Melton. Rest in peace, Grizzlies D'Anthony Melton, Mr. Do-Something, wish him nothing but the best in Philadelphia, but Danny Green, New Memphis Grizzly, he is coming off an ACL injury. Was it just ACL or was it uh did it have a PCL in there as well? I can't remember. It what was an ACL and an LCL. LCL. ACL mm-hmm. and LCL. So, obviously yep. rough knee injury for an older guy. Listen, he's very confident in his recovery. Um I think there's a definite chance he's back by the end of the season, but for now, you just got a veteran championship player on the team. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I think we're both in the same place. We think he'll probably be ready to play come playoffs maybe a little bit before at the end of the season but i don't know if either one of us expect a renaissance from danny green from a play style he if we got that amazing danny green be able to come in knock down three pointers be a three and D, true three and D guy fit perfectly with this team i don't necessarily think you're going to see that happen all that to say you get a veteran presence on the team a guy who has been there, won championships, played with the Spurs, won a championship with the Raptors. Championship guy that brings a veteran presence to a team that sorely needs it. I mean, we got good young players that are they know how to go out there and win. You still need veteran guys. So um, I personally am thankful that Danny Green is on the team for now. Um, I would love if they went and got another veteran even. But for now, Danny Green bringing that presence is awesome. But Chris, do you think there is... More that he could add when he comes back, as far as a player, or are you just mainly looking for him to provide that kind of veteran presence, work with Coach Jenkins on the bench?
0: That's my main thing. You know, this team needs vets. I was listening to um, all the smoke. T Mac was on there, Tracy McGrady was with them, and he was talking about how he's kind of worried about the Grizzlies because they don't have a veteran. And I agree, like, you need a OG in the locker room. And, old, you know, although Steven Adams is older, uh Dylan has been his six years Tyus is, is a little older he's mature as far as just a family guy uh he lost Kyle because he was really the, the outside of Steven he's you know the oldest one of the oldest anyway uh you need somebody in that locker room to try to bring some kind of order what well, the, the caveat or the best part about that with Danny Green is the fact that he's a champion you know he's won in three different areas uh yeah three different teams so um, he's been around, you know, different play styles. He's been in the league for a while. He's 35 years old. So it's nothing that you can argue with this guy about, you know, and he wants to be here. Iguadala was a guy that he was a champion, been around a little bit, but he had no intention of being in Memphis, Tennessee. Danny Green shows that he wants to be here, you know, by simply being in summer league next to the head coach. I don't care about any, you know, prior relationship, anything like that. That shows that he's committed to being here if they commit to having him here. So, um, I know he went on a podcast. I think it was the green room. Uh, he was talking about how, you know, in his mind, he's going to be back by the all-star break. Well, you're 35 years old, bro. So like your body, I'm 30 and my body is different every day. So you got five years on me. You got way more miles on your body than I do. Um, you don't know until you know, you know, so, If Jaren, you know, he went through a meniscus tear, which I actually had a meniscus tear myself, and shout out to him for actually just, you know, letting it heal because for me, I got surgery and I pay for it every day now. (laughs) But, you know, if that took time, then I can only imagine an ACL and an LCL, what that's going to do. I'm expecting him to be back, like you said, right before playoff time, give him maybe, maybe a month, you know, before or even two weeks of just straight conditioning, getting acclimated to being on the court, but we only need him to feel for me three things or really just two things that veteran presence in the locker room and on the court and be a big shot maker, you know, on the court, when you out there, whether it be, you know, he plays 15 minutes a game and he's just out there literally end of the game that, you know, hit corner threes, which we just talked about Dylan. we need him to do. Uh, that's, that's the only thing I'm looking for him to do. And I think that can pay dividends in the long run because at the end of the day, he's a champion. You know, I, 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 Sometimes we 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 discount what that is, but I mean he knows the habits. He knows he's got experiences when they get into you know late game tough situations. Okay, this is what we did in San Antonio, this is what we did in Toronto, this is what we did in the bubble. Like he has those, he has that knowledge. So um I'm glad he's here. I hope he's here, you know, up until at least the end of the season. And if he's committed. I wouldn't mind bringing him back, you know, on a Udonis-Haslam type thing. Keep him here until he's ready to get up out the league because we need that at the minimum on the end of the bench.
1: Dude, Grizz culture led by Danny Green. How about that?
0: That's yes, not something sir. I
1: saw coming on this podcast. That is not a direction I expected us to take that. But, listen, I'm with you. I was listening to the same same podcast, listen to T-Mac talk about it, and it was something that – I had not really thought about I always. You always want a veteran. You know, it's good to have veterans on the team. Um, I think it was understood that they were going to be a lot younger when they brought in four or five rookies, but uh, not something I thought was a dire need until I heard that. And like you're saying, those guys know those guys know, right. That's not just Charles Barkley hating from the TNT set. They know what they're talking about. And so I think having Danny green to help fill that role will be um, really, really good for the team. He's, won a championship, somebody that you can respect worked really hard. And then to bring it back, even to just a play perspective, I just pulled up a stats to check. He actually shot 38% from three on about four and a half attempts last season. So I think we were talking about before the podcast, I was watching him in the playoffs or the end of the season. I'm pretty sure I tweeted out there. uh, You uh, Danny Green's a wash, (laughs) man. He's about as wash you can get, but 38% on four and a half attempts per game, something this team can use, right? Knock down the open shot. He'll never be what he was with a Toronto, with San Antonio. So don't expect that. The injury obviously brings a whole nother, whole nother set of circumstances into it with recovering from injury. You never know if you'll be able to even look remotely the same, but if you can come in and shoot 38% from three, that's all we need. That's all we need from you and be, competent defensively right so even from a play perspective if he's able to make it back and fill in a role awesome maybe he just fills in a veteran presence for a bunch of young guys who are making a run at the end of the season which is what I lean towards happening but that's really all the thoughts we can have on Danny Green because there's not much more to say guy coming off a traumatic knee injury veteran guy you just don't really expect to get much out of him of from a play perspective but I think he'll fit in the locker room I think he'll help the locker room and these young guys, they've proven they'll take about anybody in. And I think that they are more than willing to listen to the vets if they've proven themselves like, like he has. So happy to have him here, excited for it, but that's going to wrap up the deep dive pod for this week. Again, mainly talking about Dylan, the villain, who I think has a real chance for redemption this year. I think there's a lot of reasons to put an asterisk next to last season for Dylan Brooks. Again, only 32 games, basically three, many seasons for him, but It's a proof of year for Dylan, both from a reputation for for Memphians, but also in a contract year when money, when money gets involved, a lot of things guys are willing to change a little bit. So I anticipate we see a redemption year from Dylan again. I'm floating around the island. I'm slowly drifting back towards it. I haven't started paddling yet, but as we get closer to the season, I think we'll get a little bit of momentum going. So with that, look out for the Dylan Brooks Deep Dive article coming out this week. We'll be releasing that on Tuesday of this week, most likely. So should be tomorrow after you're listening to this podcast. Maybe day of, we'll see. But go ahead and hop on that. We'll get into a lot of those stats. Really dig into the three-point shooting, what he's able to do from a passing perspective, and a lot of the things around last season. So look out for that. Ought to be good stuff. Other than that, we will have another Throwback Thursday coming out for you this week. So be on the lookout for that. A lot of cool interviews that Dan has been able to do in the past. So go ahead and look at that. Look at the Bain Deep Dive and the Steven Adams Deep Dive pods, if you have not yet, as long as the article is going with those. Again, Grizz901 Podcast, available on Spotify and Apple Pods. Lead. go to Lead. To, I don't even know that website, the lead look up Grizzlies. Cause I can't remember our exact thing. It's a, it's a link tree thing. And those things are always get complicated, but go look up those articles on Grizzly. Chris wrote an awesome article on Stephen Adams. Ian Sparks wrote an awesome article on Desmond Bain. Go check those out and be sure to check out all the new material. we got a lot of new guys coming in. We're going to be bringing one of them in next week. So we're starting to bring those guys out excited to introduce those guys to you. They're going to be doing some writing for us as well. So, lot of exciting stuff going on here with Grizzly and Grizz901. Excited to have you guys along for the ride. Thank you all for listening. We cannot thank you enough. It's so much fun interacting with you guys and knowing that we're, we're putting something out there and, and people are engaging with us and listening to it. So appreciate you guys. Hope you have a great rest of your week. We will talk to you next week. Be nice. Tell your friends.